0: We just don't see or experience a lot of the time small dogs who are social and good dogs that are well-trained because people let them run away with murder, because people pick up dogs or baby them too much. They don't know how to dog. Nobody teaches them how to be a good dog. Oh, hello, you. It's your favorite dog, trainer Liz Foley here with my trusty co-host,
1: Jeff Gadway, and Moira Rose. Liz's Moira is getting really good. Sometimes I don't even know you know, if it's Liz or if it's Moira, but uh, we're, we're joined by Liz and Moira today. Um, Moira will pop in at different points in time during the episode.
0: But pay it no mind. <laughs> See what I'm living with, guys?
1: Um, so today we are talking about small dogs, and it's something that dawned on us We've got a small dog in Baker, little six-pound Chihuahua. Tim, our producer, has a small dog,
0: Chewie, or something like that. We don't know what Jose is, but he's short and long,
1: beautiful. And my business partner Heidi, who is an avid listener of the podcast, also has a small dog. What what is Luna?
0: She is part Chihuahua, part something. Papillon. Yeah, something like
1: that. Heidi and I were talking earlier today, and she said, "Oh, Jeff, I am so sick and tired." of people and the way that they treat Luna. And we'll talk about some of the things that she brought up, but it actually made for a really good topic to talk about how we should be creating positive environments for our small dogs and why life for a small dog maybe is a little bit different from mm-hmm. some of the other breeds.
0: And how we should hold little dogs to the same standard as big dogs and what that means and looks like.
1: Well, let's start there then, Liz, because you know, you've know you seen a lot of clients with big dogs you've seen a lot of clients with small dogs and we see it all the time just in our daily lives how are the standards different for small dogs versus big dogs
0: small dogs way more often are allowed to jump up are allowed to be a little more vocal are allowed to kind of instigate or antagonize other dogs they don't tend to have the the same repercussions that bigger dogs do and it's probably largely because A small dog doing any of those things isn't as threatening or dangerous as, say, a German Shepherd or a Great Dane. Like, those are big dogs. So they could do more damage jumping up on a kid or something like that versus a little six-pound baker or whoever standing up. We're more dismissive. Like, we're just like, oh, whatever. It's just a little dog.
1: They get away with murder. They do. And yet, it would seem that oftentimes it's some of the small dogs that you train that have some of the biggest problems. Absolutely. So so why is that? Is it because people have neglected those problems until they've escalated 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 to a higher urgency versus dealing with them sooner or why do you think it is that that you see so many of those small dogs with big problems?
0: Two reasons. Little dog behavior is little. <laughs> they dismiss it until it's become he bit the kid or the dog fully injured another dog. They wait until it's crossed into full blown, probably aggression or, or anxiety or something bigger than just an, a nuisance behavior. The other main reason is because small dogs get treated by owners and other people more like babies uh, than they do dogs.
1: Talk about that. Like what are some of the behaviors that you see owners Reinforcing with small dogs that are really only small dog problems that you would never see with larger breeds?
0: Carrying them around. So you would never see someone pick up a German shepherd and just be like, oh, we're just going to pick him up and bring him inside. You don't do that because it's 80 pounds or whatever. But with little dogs, people just scoop them up all the time. Oh, we're passing another dog. I'm just going to scoop you up. Or I'm taking you even from the car into the house, I'm going to carry you they're dogs. They have four legs. They can walk. They're totally able to, and they should, because that's how dogs are. That's instinctual. We're making them something other than they are when we're carrying them around. We're not even allowing them to experience the world as a dog.
1: So many thoughts here. You know, I'm thinking back to what you always say, which is you get what you pet. And so if a dog, a small dog, and keep me honest here, I'm, I'm trying my hand at some, some dog psychology stuff here. Oh,
0: I'm excited.
1: But if a small dog is, you know, seeing a larger dog on a walk and the human gets anxious and then the small dog gets anxious and then the owner picks that dog up, you're telling the dog it's okay to feel like this, right? And you're kind of saying like, hey, I'm going to fight your battles for you. You don't have to learn how to be social with this other dog. And so- You
0: are literally above them.
1: That was going to be my second point. You like took the words right out of my mouth that when you bring a dog up to your level, whether it's on a couch or on a bed- or picking it up, it's seeing the world through like a superiority lens, mm-hmm. right? And so, what kinds of repercussions can that have?
0: That usually leads to dominance and a lot of the time, dominant aggression. Here's the thing position matters to dogs. So, how close somebody is to something will make them power. So, they're really close to their owner in that sense. That makes them more powerful. They're also higher than everything else around them. That makes them more powerful. So, we're giving a lot of the time. A dog who's insecure, a false sense of dominance and confidence and security, and they're given a sense of power, because they're insecure, they misuse that power.
1: Kind of like phantom power. I don't know if that's the right expression or not, but they feel powerful because they're in their owner's arms or they they have that like position of, of dominance. But guess what? They, they're not actually powerful because you put that dog down. Now it's totally insecure mm-hmm. when it's on the same playing as another dog it lacks the social skills and abilities because it's never had to actually socialize with that other dog and so guess what that dog becomes probably like fear reactive
0: Mm -hmm. and so what happens it gets nasty towards this other dog the human picks it up again
1: nasty john
0: nasty john that was a good one (laughs) this is this is great
1: (laughs) <laughs> we we jumped right into it. And I, I love it. I love that we're like getting right into the meat of this so quickly. But something I don't want to miss, Liz, is just help our listeners understand what the world is like for small dogs. Like what does the world look like through a small dog's eyes, like a Baker or a Jose or a Luna?
0: I mean, we joke about it all the time with Baker, is that like at the end of the day, we're like, you were so brave today, buddy. Like we ask him to do something new and experience something, you'd like jump on a big rock or something. And it's like, you overcame an obstacle. I'm so proud of you. Like that must've been really scary. That could have been your Mount Everest. Everything is physically so much larger than him. And so a car goes by, a big truck, like it can startle him still to this day because I'm just, imagine being that small. Like everything around you is a lot. And so people are much bigger to you. So someone coming in to pet you becomes a big deal. You're very vulnerable being small. Being small and petite is adorable as hell, but you're vulnerable and you could be subjugated so quickly to injury, even by accident.
1: So, talk about how that could manifest itself in a setting like the doghouse, the social club. How do you see small dogs that come in interacting or or interfacing with larger dogs. Is there any commonality or common dynamics between small dogs in that kind of a dog daycare setting?
0: No, a lot of the time that's more about personality. And I mean, we're really intentional with how we work with all of the dogs, whether big, medium or small, because we put a whole pack together, all one, So it doesn't matter if you're big or you're small or you're medium, you're older, you're young, we're, we're all together in a pack, but we treat every dog like a dog Mm. and we don't baby the little dogs or coddle them and make them any more insecure. If anything, I empower that dog. I bring it in. I might teach it something new or work on a lot of recall or some commands and get it feeling really confident around those other dogs and then release it. And I've seen, small dogs play with big dogs. I've seen small dogs play together. I've seen big dogs play together. But I have a video on my phone still of Baker. He played with the one of the biggest golden retrievers we have at daycare, Hudson. And Hudson got down on the ground and played so beautifully and nicely with Baker. And Baker's like jumping all around him and playing nicely, not being a little dog, being like antagonistic, but playing so gently and calmly. And I just loved that that and anytime that happens we share it to the doghouse because we're like this is why we keep the dogs together because a lot of places don't and i get it that might be a safety precaution but again we're so intentional with how we set up the pack and the level of excitement the dogs are allowed to have to keep the smaller weaker older members of our pack safe
1: i'm glad you touched on that because You know, and everyone's got different philosophies, right? And the point isn't to to judge or or to disparage any other dog professional, because everyone's got their own thing and every owner has something that they feel comfortable with. But there are a number of other facilities in our community that either focus on just a certain size dog, like small dogs, or that segregate dogs based on age, size, or breed. Or energy. Or energy. I think the risk with that, and and I'd love to get your take on this, but the risk I see with that is, okay, the intention is good, keep the dog safe, have a structured environment, but the reality is that's not the way your dog is going to interact with the world. When you go on a walk, you can't be like, oh, we're only going to pass other small dogs today. Mm-hmm. And so your dog needs to be comfortable and fluent and confident interacting with high-energy dogs, low-energy dogs, small dogs, big dogs, old dogs, young dogs, mm-hmm. and that's part of the beauty of, I think, the way that you've designed the Doghouse Social Club is that it's one pack, all ages, all breeds, all sizes. And so it's really like a real-world scenario.
0: Mm-hmm. But I would say the flip side is what I do requires a much more skilled approach. So it needs highly trained and qualified people. I see why other places would do smaller, more controlled groups, because you're relying on on staff to keep it safe for the dogs. And, and maybe that's not always the case.
1: Right. I wanna come back to Baker for a second, because you were talking about Baker playing with one of the larger dogs at the social club. Baker wasn't always that way. When we brought Baker home from California, those years ago he lacked confidence he was Mm -hmm. kind of insecure and I was just wondering if you could and I know we did one about Baker so I don't want to make this all about Baker but if you could maybe talk a little bit about his evolution and maybe some of the things that helped him gain that confidence as a small dog that could be a starting point for some things for people to emulate when trying to build confidence in their own small dogs Mm
0: mm-hmm so I took him a lot of places. I exposed him that way. I advocated for him when he was in training and uh, on leash with me on walks and everything. I wouldn't allow just anybody to approach him and to, and to pet him. And what we were finding is a lot of people don't know how to greet a dog that size properly. And I remember some people even asking to pick him up. And I'm like, he doesn't know you like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a little bit forthcoming. Going at his speed, challenging him at times, but not too much and positively reinforcing once he was good at something like just like building that confidence, making him feel good, repeat the things that he's good at, especially in places that are maybe a little bit more unfamiliar. We had people that we knew we could trust to do proper greetings with him to get him comfortable and giving treats and things like that. Um, but we didn't shy away from doing things with him because of his size like we took him on hikes we also didn't allow him on furniture like we were we were really intentional on even though he's small even though he's so stinking cute we have to hold him accountable the same way we did all our dogs and in, in the in the first bit of you learning your hierarchy in our pack, which he took to it so quick. We actually were able to have him on the furniture sooner than I think any of our other dogs, because Baker is just so sensitive that he's just like, I know you're in control. I do not object to this at all. (laughs) Um, Really, I'm, I'm really not about small dogs being on furniture and getting really comfortable with that hopping on hopping off thing because a lot of dogs can injure themselves that way yes they have smaller bones so if they jump off wrong or if they're jumping off something really really high i worry so much that they're going to do damage to their teeny tiny bodies and bones the other thing is i mean i feel like every episode of caesar milan where there's a small dog there's always an issue about the couch Mm -hmm. where like my husband can't come and sit on the couch with me because the dog protects that space. And then there's ones where someone else can't get in the bed because the dog protects that space. It's that same notion of being picked up, that inflated sense of self and entitlement that is completely inside this very, very insecure dog that then they, they will become overprotective of their space. That territorial behavior around space is then what makes for a nasty dog not just on the couch but anytime a person wants to pet it especially if the human is holding the dog
1: right right because
0: now we've put the dog in a position of power whether on your lap beside you on the couch or in your arms and they're gonna go i'm gonna defend this because this is my space feeling anxious, doubting yourself,
1: lacking confidence, seeking calmness, looking to channel your inner badass.
0: We've got the solution.
1: What is it, Liz?
0: Affirmation cards for pack leaders.
1: We start our day every day by having coffee and pulling an affirmation card that sets us up with a thought and a focus for the day. And ever since we've been doing it, it's totally been a game changer.
0: I'm obsessed and I tell everybody that they should do affirmations. We've been doing it for like over a year, really does make a difference.
1: And so recently, Liz decided, hey, you know what? We need affirmation cards for pack leaders. Absolutely. Really, specially tailored for dog owners. And so that's exactly what Liz has gone and built. The Calm, Confident Leadership Affirmation Cards include 36 different cards sorted into cards focused on developing calm, building confidence, and asserting leadership.
0: So you can shuffle them up and pull one at random or... You can pull one specifically tailored towards calmness, confidence, or leadership.
1: Whatever you need on that given day.
0: Keep it in your pocket, put it in your wallet, take a picture, post it to your Instagram, and allow that energy to empower you.
1: We've created a limited first run of these affirmation cards. If you want to check them out, they're on the Doghouse website, www.doghouse.com d-o-g-h-a-u-s dot c-a and click on affirmation cards at the top of the page.
0: Remember, this is a limited run. We only have so many, so don't miss out.
1: To make it really easy, we've put a quick link in the bio. You go check them out and grab a deck before it's too late.
0: Once again, you can head over to Doghouse's website to grab your own calm, confident leadership affirmation cards for pack leaders.
1: And we look forward to seeing you post pictures of the card you pull on Instagram and tag us at honest to dog podcast.
0: Now back to the show.
1: So, a little earlier on, you talked about the need to advocate for your small dog and that that was something you really were a big proponent of with Baker, advocating for him, ensuring that people interacted with him in a way that made him feel comfortable and confident and safe. And I'm just wondering if you have any tips for owners of small dogs, and then I want to talk about just the general public and do's and don'ts for how to interact with a small dog in particular. But I wonder if you have any tips in terms of advocacy. Um, For example, Heidi had a couple of questions for me, um, and I'm sure other listeners are wondering the same thing. Are there some phrases you can use to be a good advocate for your dog, whether it's around, you know, your small dog meeting another dog or, you know pick can i pick your dog up or can i pet your dog like like phrases or or language you could use to be that advocate for your dog mhm
0: i will start by saying no is a full sentence with an answer and whether that is liked or disliked mm, uh, do i really care no <laughs> that's a big thing i feel like People are asking a question that they don't really care what the answer is because so many people ask, "Can I pet your dog?" As they're reaching As for they're your reaching dog, in. Yeah. like you almost have to block and be like, "Um, excuse you." What I would say is, keep your dog beside you at all times on your walk when you're hanging out, whatever it is, so that if you needed to, you could step in front of somebody, whether it's in front of their dog or in front of them. If someone is going to disregard your space entirely, you're allowed to put a boundary. Absolutely. Another thing is is I stick my hand out because that's universal sign, like stop.
1: <laughs> yeah. When you talk about being able to step in, something that I notice you do and I try to emulate as well is if I see somebody coming, you know, with a dog, is move the dog to the outside, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes just the very act of deliberately moving your dog from being on the inside track closer to that person and their their dog to the outside and putting yourself between that individual and your small dog, like Baker in this case. For most perceptive people, that's signal enough that, hey, we're not gonna meet today. If they're, if they're like even half watching, they should be <laughs> able to pick up on that.
0: And I make it like really smooth for the dog that the dog doesn't really know what's happening. And that's why, too, I'm really fluid with training a dog to walk on either side of me. And, like, I just determine for you which side I would like you to walk on. I'm not, like, hard right all the time or anything. Traditional obedience is typically left. I want to make sure that I can move you from one side to the other. So I'll just grab the leash with my other hand behind my back, do 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 come on this way, redirect my own dog, while then I can stick my hand out to the people on the other side and exactly. say, sorry, he's in training. Actually, I, I always say sorry. And you know what? I think I'm going to work on that because why should you apologize for protecting your dog?
1: Yeah.
0: He's in training or not friendly with people, whatever.
1: Can I give you mine that I love yeah. to use? I just say, we're not going to meet today.
0: My one that I was using for Ty all the time that was actually really good at shutting it down is he's okay, he's good.
1: Liz would say it with that intensity too. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I think I think we're always very pleasant, but we're firm.
0: Yeah, and right? my, my point about saying, no, he's good makes people reframe the whole notion of petting the dog. I'm saying he's good without that from you thank you so much That's right where they're not thinking about what the dog wants they're solely thinking about what they want i'm mm-hmm. craving a soft interaction with a fluffy thing there's one i will approach it take what i need from it and leave it it's like no he doesn't know you he's not going to necessarily enjoy this yeah so no and it he's not a walking petting zoo or you could start charging a fee tell heidi to be like 150 dollars to pet my dog and then it people. worth it. yeah um, and then people will be like, Whoa, that that lady's crazy <laughs> or um, crazy smart.
1: Crazy smart. Um, carry on a square terminal and yeah. just charge people. What if you're okay with that dog meeting the other dog? Like I'll I'll give a great example today. And this is, you know, meant to kind of give kudos to Liz. And I'm always learning from Liz, both in terms of how she interacts with the dogs and other people too. So today we were on a walk with um our two dogs. And there was a dog, uh, looked like a younger a younger puppy. And, you know, the, the guy did ask. He's like, can... And from a distance. From a distance. I loved so that. So he was very perceptive. He's like, is it okay if they meet? And then Liz, you know, she... she and I guess the, the point I'm trying to make here is, if you are okay with your dog's meeting, you are totally within your rights to set the terms of the engagement. And so what Liz did is she said, yes, but let's have your dog meet baker the little one he's totally friendly and fine with other puppies but we won't have your dog meet ty right and so i think it's totally fine to be able to set the terms of the engagement between your dog and another dog or another person and make people kind of agree to those rules before you allow that interaction to take place
0: Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and I mean, you could even have it be more like, in case someone doesn't have two dogs and they want to know an example of setting parameters around it, just be like, yeah, well, it'll just be a quick sniff. Otherwise he gets fussy That's or right. something. You could, You could say that. Yeah, sure. Just a quick sniff. Thank you. Bye. Right. We yeah. don't have to make it a whole long a whole to do because everybody thing. who knows me and is trained with me knows that social greetings should be short and sweet. So Baker did this little greeting very well i was very proud of him and then yeah. we just carried on we
1: carried on our way and i kept and by I, a good distance and, and i was didn't like mind.
0: this is so important because this is a puppy during covid and like i kind <clears> of <throat> i kind of could hear in the guy's voice like the desperation of like help me please like my dog needs to meet other dogs he was very optimistic with his can they meet <laughs> and so i was like yeah sure this one and then here's this very impressionable puppy who's now had a positive interaction with the Chihuahua. Well, with
1: two dogs, though, even. With the
0: Chihuahua.
1: Chihuahua and Ty, because because it was at a distance. They were in social zone. So it's not like it wasn't a social interaction. It wasn't up close and personal, but it was still positive. And it was positive for Ty, too, because he...
0: Everybody wins.
1: Everybody wins. So we've talked about some strategies that you can use to be an advocate for your own small dog. What about tips for just the general public, general population around how to interact with small dogs in a positive way?
0: Mm -hmm. Assume all small dogs are more sensitive. Um, They might not be. I've known some really confident chihuahuas and small dogs. I mean, hell, Jose is pretty confident. But give them space. Don't assume they want a greeting with you um, and know that just your sheer size alone might be off-putting and go slow go really slow never pet over the head talk to the owner not the dog i mean the amount of people who as i pass them just go oh sweetie baby or look at the baby puppy like nobody Talks to me, talk to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But like, don't talk at the dog if you don't know it. But yeah, especially small dogs tend to get that because it looks like a walking stuffy, but have more respect for them because they are living beings and they deserve that. They're not playthings. You know what? Maybe it's just what I've learned in time with working with people. Also, assume strangers who want to engage with your dog know nothing. I also will tell people how to hold baker because a lot of people even picking up baker again this is these are people now i know and trust and who baker loves but a lot of people want to pick up a small dog under the armpits and that actually puts a lot of pressure on their arms and in their shoulder joint and can be quite painful and so i i've seen someone do that to baker and he screamed and they were like what i was just trying to pick him up i'm like you did it so wrong yeah, <laughs> that yeah. you actually hurt him. So I always scoop from the side under the belly.
1: And that's, then support the bum.
0: Yeah. Or you can hold under the belly in your arm, like low down by your hip. Um, that's what I do with a dog, like especially if a baker, and I don't want him to get overly confident in a situation or mm-hmm. think like, like I'm going to protect my mommy now. No, I'm going to hold you down closer to the ground, but also you're sturdy and... I'm in control of this situation, or I make like a shelf on my arm, and he can sit there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He likes to do that, and I feel very confident hold with his that. Chest. Yeah, and he's just like, he loves it.
1: But I think I think this goes back to that earlier point about advocating for your dog. Like when I see you interacting with children, right? You almost have to treat everybody as though they're a child who's never interacted with a dog before, right? Yeah. And when I see you, you know, a, do- a, a child comes over, and they're like, "Can I pet your dog?" You know, you get down at their level. You're like, okay, here's how we're going to do it though, mm-hmm. right? And you set the terms of that engagement. Take control. So that it's a positive experience, both for the dog and for the kid, right? And the yeah. kid doesn't get get scared. So I think you could do the same thing with your small dog and say, yeah, you can say hi to Baker, but here's how we're going to do it mm-hmm. so that everybody wins.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell people to crouch down for small dogs sideways. Don't pet over the head, pet side or body. Um, And only once the dog has come towards you and like not tiptoe leaning towards you, that's still very apprehensive about you. Yeah. Yeah. They want to check you out. They're almost committed to coming all the way in, but not. And what we usually, what a lot of people try to do is then encourage through pet or talk or touch or eye contact. And then It it works the opposite way where the dog goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I just wasn't ready for that. I was kind of, I was testing the waters and you pushed me in and I didn't like that. (laughs) I know how to put words to the worries of the little dogs. I love
1: it. Well, and I think if I was to kind of have a closing thought, small dogs are a real joy. I mean, I don't think we ever saw ourselves having a small dog as part of our family.
0: And what's kind of funny is starting the dog house, I was all about the large dogs We had a medium dog and I was like, now I can get my fill of big dogs and just little dogs or whatever. And then I got to know these little dogs that were so awesome. We just don't see or experience a lot of the time, small dogs who are social and good dogs that are well-trained because people let them run away with murder, because people pick up dogs or baby them too much. They don't know how to dog. Nobody teaches them how to be a good dog.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. So and
0: now I love them. I met some awesome Chihuahuas, and you ask most dog trainers, "What's the worst breed?" Some will say Chihuahua. I love Chihuahuas. 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 Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for another episode of Honest to Dog. And until next time, you stay calm, assertive, you.
1: If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you.
0: We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at honest 2
1: Honest to Dog Podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. For all things training and daycare, check out doghouse.ca. D-O-G-H-A-U-S dot